My guest today is co-host of one of the most popular sports and entertainment podcasts out there, What Happened When, you know what I'm talking about. He also happens to be among the elite of pro wrestling broadcasters in the history of professional wrestling. And although you know his stay was brief, uh, I did have the chance to work with him during my time with the WWF, uh, WWE. Uh, currently, uh, I'm going to run out of breath. I'm going to get tired just uh, putting all the things he's doing these days. Uh, he also does play-by-play for the Georgia Bulldogs and the Gwinnett Braves minor league baseball team and is now one of the lead announcers for MLW, Major League Wrestling. But folks, put all that aside right now because once again, Sean Mooney and Tony Schiavone are together. And that is uh, worth the listen right there. How are you doing, Tony? Sean, uh, thanks for the buildup. Uh, I'm not one of the elites, although Please. I never thought that. I just did it a long time, okay? Uh, well, one of my fondest memories when you and I hosted Primetime. Do you remember that? Yeah, Together? They've been, people have been putting that picture out. I for, totally forgot about that, honestly. Yeah. And, you know, it was, but, yeah. <laughs> and, and also, uh, another fond memory. I don't know if you remember us doing it. We I think we celebrated, I don't know, 25 years of Coliseum videos, or maybe it was 25 years of, or maybe it was 10 years of Coliseum videos. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. 10 years of Coliseum videos and 15 years of Coliseum video porn. Yes. There Uh, you go. uh, And then the real uh, moneymaker for Coliseum (laughs) video. Right. And, uh, we had brother love hitching the face with a, with a cake. Do you remember that at the end of it? Yes. I knew you were going to bring that up. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, I have often wondered who was behind that, that rib. And I, I have to think it was Bruce, but, uh, you'd like to have a good time too. So let's get the reveal today. Uh, how did that rib come about? Because it was never, ever, uh, I was never given that uh, information. You were never get, I I thought you were in on it. No, are you kidding? I have to go Tell me what you know, because we're going to get to the bottom of this today, folks. Well, it, it was, it was me. I mean, because I was the producing the whole thing and. (laughs) <laughs> and I said, you know, then we hit Sean with the cake and Bruce, you got to hit him with the cake and everything, because I thought it was a given and it was a given Sean that anytime there was a cake on a WWF event, yes. like uh, a TNT or whatever, someone got hit in the face with a cake. Somebody was getting it. Somebody I, was yeah, getting maybe, it. Right. I was just uh, stupid. I don't know. I was an idiot. No, you weren't and, stupid. And, and, you were, yeah. you were the, one of the great straight men that we had. So, uh, <laughs> and it turned out much funnier than we all imagined it would. Oh God. And the thing was, let me, t- let me tell you the reason why it always, it, it irked me with, with, uh, with brother love is that, you know, I had one tuxedo. That's it. I had one mm-hmm. tuxedo that I, that, you know, they bought me and, and it was a great tuxedo. I got it in Greenwich at, at, uh, Vince's shop. I was very <laughs> happy. I was very proud of that tuxedo. And the next night yeah. I was supposed to be at the gardener. What it was either the next night or the night. I don't know what it was. But that was it. And you had me wear the tuxedo because it was a big deal. I wore my one tux. And then Bruce, and it wasn't just a face shot. If you go back and look at that, it was a body shot. That was a big effing cake. That was, and yeah. <laughs> he dumped it, it on was, you. He sure did. Yeah. Oh, he got me good. I mean, it was full blown. Uh, yeah. yeah and I, that, feel bad. I feel bad now, Sean. <laughs> you get, you're getting me feeling bad. Go oh, ahead. Years later. And the, and let me tell you this, Tony, the suit was never the same again. Yeah. Those collars just didn't snap the way they did. They, they weren't <laughs> as shiny anymore. <laughs> you are full of it. <laughs> yeah. So let's blame, blame brother love because he's an easy target, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But we, we did have some fun and I, I want to talk about, uh, your time with the uh, WWF, 
I always have to say WWE now because we're not supposed to just refer to WWF. But uh, I, you know, I, I mentioned at the top of the the podcast there that uh, you know you're the, you're the host of What Happened When. But to me, uh, what I want to say today is um, to me it's a, what happened if because I, I tell you I was thinking about you know your time there and. When I when it was uh, here, I look at it and say it was one year. I'm going, no way. I'm not. T- I'm not kidding. It felt to me like you were there. I, I know it was in a long time, but I was thinking two, three years. Right. Like one year, because man, did you do a lot, and boy, did we do a lot there. It was. It was fun. Yeah, we had a great time. I, uh, I've said many times on what happened when my podcast, and I've said on many interviews that it was my single best year in the business. Uh, only because of working conditions, you know, Sean, I came from Jim Crockett promotions. It was a very mom and pop small time operation. Mm-hmm. And then in 1989, when I first worked in uh, walked into Titan television, mm-hmm. uh, it, it like blew my mind because of, uh, of all that they had and, and all the effort and the money that they put into production. And I thought, man, I'm, I'm on the road to something big here. So yeah, it was a single, and and of course they let me do Coliseum videos. They gave me yeah. a free hand to do Coliseum videos. We had, uh, I don't know if it's an unlimited budget, but I could do it. I mean, I went out to, uh, I went out to uh, somewhere in California and did a shoot with the, uh, uh, with the Bushwhackers, and this mm-hmm. was all just kind of based on uh, doing a Coliseum video about the Bushwhackers. So I, I, it, it was wonderful. It was yeah. absolutely wonderful. Yeah, you, with the you, exception you, of having to work under Bruce Pritchard was was not ideal. Yeah, and I I know that uh, you know uh, it, it, you have a different relationship now. Yeah, but it was tough working with Bruce back then. I I, I, I yes, he was uh, he could be a, a real prick. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. he could, and he could uh, yeah. and in his defense, you know, he was like the uh, conduit between Vince and Pat in production. Yes. So he had a lot of, he did have a lot of pressure on him, I understand. No, and he did. And, and I'll tell you, I am uh, forever grateful to him as well, though, back in the, during that time, because, you know, I come from a completely different outside world and he did, he helped me a lot as far as smartening me up to the business and, uh, you know, took care of me on a many an occasion. So I, I say that in jest cause, uh, you know, he really did, uh, there, there were times in a, a, that it was tough being around Bruce, uh, and as he has admitted, but at the same time, like you said, it was not an easy job that he had. And when you, you know, come into that world and, uh, it was, it was just blowing up then, you know, suddenly they're saying, okay, you're in charge of production over there. And it's like, what? And you've got all these shows going on. But, uh, one thing you mentioned that when you came to Titan, that's what we called it back then. And I'm sure it was different from coming from where you did. And you said it was kind of a mom and pop, but also at the same time. And if you remember coming to Stanford, that it was in a lot of ways, a very, a small company think about that production staff that we had there. You know, we had Kevin and, uh, you know, we had the, uh, uh, you know, uh, guys working in the tape room that everybody knew Chuck Rose and, and, uh, 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 Larry Rosen was audio. Remember like everybody just knew each other. It was this very small production staff, right? Right. Yep. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And then, uh, um, God, I wish I remember all the names, but you know, uh, uh, who Kevin, else did Coliseum video with us? Um, yeah. Well, Kevin Granith was obviously Granith. there. Yeah. 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 And, and Lord Alfred was there. Uh, Kevin Dunn was, uh, was obviously, but he was in charge of 
of of edit one and he had a he had a editor named kevin yeah uh and i worked there was a guy named mike salaya that worked there you remember mike salaya yeah yeah he ran the place for a while yeah he did it didn't last very long in that position if you remember no no they didn't it it was like you said it was a tough job it was uh right (laughs) to try and balance all that but it was it was a a very small community and we all kind of hung out with each other a, a, a lot of the time. And I know you had your family uh, and the kids were all really young, but it was a very tight knit group. And, and uh, you know, people like Alfred was somebody else who I know you got to be very close with in, uh, you know, in that period of time too. Yeah. Uh, really uh, Sean, one of the great men ever. He really yeah. is, was, uh, it really broke my heart that uh, I found out from uh, my friend, Tommy Carlucci, who still works there. And, uh, was working actually in, uh, I think he was working in shipping when I was there, uh, or actually just started being an international producer. Tommy had told me, uh, you know, years later that Alfred who had gone to Texas to live with his, uh, his kids had yeah. passed on and I didn't get a chance to say goodbye to him or even go down to the funeral. Cause I would have, because I had so much respect for him. Just a great man. He yeah. Really was. And, and, uh, there's a lot of uh, the fact that he's not in the, uh, hall of fame as you and I, uh, have talked about is, is a travesty. I, I right. don't, I don't understand why that has taken so long. I don't either. Oh, and the only thing I can say is, and, and I really hate to say that this because, uh, I have friends who are in the hall of fame, yeah. uh, like, like Jr. uh, and, uh, Rick Flair, uh, and, uh, diamond Dallas page. Yeah. Who I all have a great respect for. Yeah. But I, I think by leaving Alfred out, it just uh, demeans the Hall of Fame and makes it mean nothing. Yeah, it really does. You, you think about all that he was involved in uh, from the ground floor when, when Vince started building what he's built the WWE into. You know, right. Alfred was right there. Not, not to mention, a lot of people have no idea about his career before that, that he was a very accomplished wrestler in these territories. Right. And, uh, was a tremendous heel. I don't know if you've ever looked at, uh, got a chance to see any of his, his promos that he used to cut, but he would. Oh yes, I did. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm talking about the, the stodgy Englishman who just looked down on everyone and great stuff. Yeah. I don't know if you saw it, but, uh, he really was just an incredible person. And then, when he came to the the WWF at the time, uh, basically doing you know whatever they needed him to do, and then doing uh, you know the Tuesday Night Titans, uh, the uh, that talk show with with Vince, and you know, it just it, I just don't understand it. He was just uh, was such a big part of it, and still not, they still haven't uh, brought him in. Yeah, because I mean I, I guess it's because maybe that Alfred has passed on, and they don't have to yeah. quote unquote worry about it, but what would it hurt? I would, I've never gone to one of those, but damn it. If Albert Hayes would get in, inducted, I would go yeah. just to honor him. I really would. Me too. Me too. Uh, absolutely. Because he was a great man and uh, <laughs> a lot of great people worked for us back then. And I really enjoyed it. I, I really did. Um, and, uh, so, uh, I, I really missed my time there. I really do. Yeah. Now what I want to talk about that experience, but I think, you know, before we get there, uh, I'm always interested on how and uh, how you know people travel that path, and um, you know when you were growing up, was there always this idea that you wanted to be a sports broadcaster? Like, were you one of those kids that 
you know, instead of thinking I'm going to be the guy out on that field, I, I'm going to be the guy calling the action and you would do mock play by play. Were you th- like that growing up? Yeah, I sure was. Really? I, uh, I, from, uh, the sixth grade on, uh-huh. knew I wanted to be a baseball announcer. Really? From the sixth grade. Now we're talking about in the sixties. All right. When I was in the mm-hmm. sixth grade and baseball was, uh, Baseball was my love, and there was something magical about baseball back then because, like any other sport, you only got to see it now and then. You you kept up with it by reading about it and collecting baseball cards. Right. You didn't have ESPN where you had no. every highlight or the Major League Baseball Network, every yeah. highlight on. Yeah. You didn't have so, the cable ticket either to watch every game. Right, right. watch every game. So I became a gigantic baseball fan, and uh, – just Did you listen uh, on the radio. Is that how you? Yes. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. yeah. We used to. I had a, a a kid who lived across from me who was blind, and he was a big Atlanta Braves fan. Huh. And I lived in Virginia, and I I became a big Oakland A's fan. That's another story. Uh, but I became a big Oakland A's fan. Uh, of course, you know, in the seventies they had a great team. So we would listen on the porch, and we could pick up WSB in Atlanta. We could pick up KMOX in uh, St. Louis and listen to the Cardinals. We could even faintly pick up uh, WABC out of New York that was carrying the Yankees at that time. Mm. Uh, and we could also pick up 3WE out of Cleveland that was carrying the Cleveland Indians. Wow. So we, we, we kind of, uh, you know, all, we, we just went from one station to another and listened and, and loved baseball. And so baseball was my first love. Then when I got into high school, I, I kind of fell in love with pro wrestling. Uh, and, and that happened, uh, when I was working in high school, uh, during on Saturdays, I would work at the uh, grocery store in town, the IGA. And mm-hmm. I would, I would, uh, take my lunch. I would walk up, uh, the hill to where my mom lived and my aunt and uncle lived. And I would walk up the hill and, uh, I would, uh, I would eat lunch, uh, with my uncle John and he would be watching wrestling on Saturday afternoons. And I would sit down and start watching wrestling with him. And that's how I fell in love with it. And there were days that we're talking about 74, 75 now and on and through my early years in college, there were days that I stood in front of the mirror and pretended I was doing interviews with wrestlers. Uh, so I, I loved them both. Uh, and, uh, and it's odd because baseball got me into wrestling and it was, it it is interesting that I started baseball and, then I got into wrestling, and when I was hired by the Crockett family in 1982 to do their baseball, I immediately went to them and said, listen, you know, I could do wrestling, too. I mean, I, I love baseball. Minor league baseball never has paid much. You can't raise a family on no, it. No, no. Uh, to this day. So, yeah, to this <laughs> yeah, day, you can't yeah. raise a family yeah. on it. Uh, so I uh, I just, I, I really, uh, you know, put the pressure on them to let me do some wrestling for two reasons. Number one, I loved it, but number two, I could have used the extra money and, uh, about a year and a half later, they let me started doing some rest, starting doing wrestling and, and then they got the show on TBS and they wanted me to do it. And, you know, by 1986, I was doing wrestling full time. So yeah, it, it, it was, it, it's kind of an odd path to getting to do what you want to do. And now after my wrestling days are over, I'm back to doing baseball. My wife and I comment jokingly, you know, I left baseball in 19, uh, 1986 full-time and then uh i started doing baseball full-time in uh 2009 again 
So I went from double A baseball in 86, triple A baseball in 2009. It took me about 25 years to go from double uh, A to triple A when it takes players sometimes only a couple months. Yeah. There you go. So, so <laughs> it, it's been a, uh, it's Moving been quite in. a journey. Yeah. <laughs> And you kept at it. That's uh, I give you credit there. You, you kept at it and made it to AAA. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. And you know, uh, uh, yeah, uh, wrestling has has also helped me out in my baseball career because God, there are a lot of wrestling fans out there, and the the people that work for the Braves and people that work for the Georgia Bulldogs, they're all right. They all knew me. They all knew what I did, and they all. And sometimes you think it. Well, maybe uh, me being a, a professional wrestling announcer, and I know you probably uh, had this come up too, me being a professional wrestling announcer would hurt you trying to do other things. Yeah. But that was not the case. It really helped me out in doing other things. Uh, and uh, so it's it's been good for me, really. It's been uh, it's helped me out throughout my career. And what about that early training? Because, uh, you know, uh, talking to other broadcasters through the years that, who have done play-by-play, and on radio and you really have to paint the picture you know you have to be able to create for because people aren't seeing it how how did that help uh, in your early training doing that that you know when you were able to when you made that transition to television and then you know calling wrestling matches well what i always try to do sean uh was uh trying to paint the picture was yeah. good but also also trying to generate excitement about what I was seeing. Uh, and that's how I got my first job in, with the, I got my first job in 81 out of college with the Greensboro Hornets, the uh -huh. Yankees single A team of the South Atlantic league. Uh, they listened to my tape and they hired me on my tape of high school basketball and football because they thought I sounded exciting and they wanted an excitement about their broadcast to help bring people through the gate to see the team. Yeah. So that's what I, so my true love for baseball made me excited about what I was watching. And then my true love for wrestling made me excited about what I was seeing. Yeah. And, and, and I, and I think, I, I don't know if, uh, yeah, you gotta be very descriptive doing baseball. You paint the picture. I think baseball announcers who do radio are the best announcers in the world. The major league announcers are like, you know, Vin Scully was tremendous and, yeah. God. uh, yeah, I mean, uh, and Jack Buck was great, and uh, I loved Skip Carey doing baseball and was fortunate to be able to work with him a little bit before he passed on. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I just, uh, I used, I, I think what I did, I just used my love and excitement of what I was doing, and that helped me. Because you don't have to describe everything doing uh, wrestling on television, but you got to tell the story, and you got to be genuinely excited about what you're doing. and. The fact that I grew up watching Ric Flair in his formative years, and now I was interviewing Ric Flair, calling his matches was was a big deal. Was yeah. a, was a big big deal for me. You know, and that excitement, as you mentioned, ne never left you. I think that that was one of your you know calling cards with that. That people who uh, loved listening and watching professional wrestling when you were doing matches, as you did, you brought that that excitement all the time. I mean, you were you. Uh, uh, I know that in some ways when you were with the WCW, uh, they kind of prompted that more than maybe you normally would have done. But that definitely, uh, when you are on the air, you you bring that air of excitement to it. There's no question about it. Uh, well, what was it like, though, in those early years? Because you mentioned that transition uh, of doing uh, baseball. And then they I know that you they started to bring you in to fill in uh, with the Crockett uh, operation. 
but the, was was it really uh, that? I mean, was it really mom and pop then? And then did you see it as it became bigger and bigger? Because before you came to the the WWF, uh, it was you know there were some big names and it was a pretty well respected uh, operation. Well, it was well respected, but Sean, it really was mom and pop. Yeah. We had they had no editing suites. Uh, everything they did was live to tape back then. Oh boy. Yeah. We went out and did a show and they would do, uh, uh, that we would do a segment and the guy would go, you know, he would do an end point on his one inch machine, uh, an out point for a commercial break. And we'd started again. Everything was live to tape. So there was no editing done at all. Uh, when I had to voice over, uh, when I had to voice over some things, I would go back and the, uh, studio, was basically in a makeshift garage and the studio. And I would do my voiceovers onto a camera and, uh, they would, uh, dump it over into audio that way. But, uh, and then I started working for some radio stations. So anytime I had to do radio spots, I would use the radio station, but it was really small time. Really? Really? And, and endless interviews who used to do those, you know, two, three yeah. minutes. That's how I started. That, that's, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's how I, I started. And that to me, that was the exciting part of doing wrestling. Uh, I, I thought that, you know, those two, uh, positions they had in each one hour show, which was like, uh, two and a half minutes, one with the good guys, one with the bad guys or heels and baby faces, if you will, those are what that, that was the lifeblood of what they were doing because, uh, they, it was an arena business back then. Yeah. And so I was, uh, and those were long ass days, Sean, well, I was, I uh, imagine. yeah, they were, I mean, you did, uh, you did event centers, which was yeah. kind of the, uh, the post runner to what we were doing, but I used to do standups and we used to go nine in the morning, sometimes nine o'clock at night yeah, on a um, Wednesday. Yeah. I can't even imagine because people ask me about that, what the event center was like, and it was brutal. You know that I would do yeah. you know, sometimes with the 90 plus markets a week. Right. But I was in the studio. I could take breaks. I didn't have to, uh, you know, deal with talent as far as doing these interviews in and out and in and out and then endless and try and keep them going. Uh, but I, I just can't, even imagine what that must have, must have been like. And you're standing on your feet the whole time. You're on these hard arena floors, wherever the hell you are. And mm -hmm. it just, it, it's brutal. And you got to yeah. keep going. And everyone, you know, you got to be up because they don't know this is your 63rd interview of the day. You right. know? Yeah, it was, uh, we did it all back in that makeshift garage back in the Crockett days because oh. they were based out of uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. And they always made sure the guys uh, came into Charlotte, to Charlotte that day that morning to do wrestling. And then maybe that we do it on a Wednesday. Maybe that Wednesday night they would work Raleigh or, or Greensboro someplace close. And I never, I, Sean, I never took a break. I just stood in front of the camera the entire day. And I remember that, uh, I, uh, I was in a car wreck. It was a very minor wreck, but I did break my kneecap. So Jeez. I was put, I was put in a, uh, in a cast from my ankle to right up in my, above my knee and so that, that one Wednesday I had a crutch and I had, uh, <laughs> I had jeans on. I had, I had a, uh, I had a blazer on and a tie, but I had jeans on and Lois had cut the jeans up the side so it could fit over the, uh, the cast. And uh, I, I, I did it that, that whole day on my feet for two weeks, before, uh, maybe three weeks before the cast got off and, um, you just, you just did it. And I, I never at once stood there thinking, man, I need a break or 
man, what are they doing to me? Or these working conditions are terrible. Yeah. I just always stood there and think, look at what I'm doing. I'm getting to talk to Steamboat. I'm getting to talk to Flair. I'm getting to talk to the Andersons, Baron Von Raschke. My yeah. God, this is wonderful. So yeah. I was like a kid in the candy store back then. Well, and, and you also mentioned how big a part of selling these guys uh, that was. That interaction with the announcer, which I thought was, was always a really important part of it, uh, putting these guys over, that has uh, pretty much disappeared. But it was a huge part. As you, you know, it wasn't just what went on in the ring. It was how you sold those those promos. And I, you yeah. know, to me, that was an art. That really was. Yeah, and, and, and I really, yeah, it is a lost one. It's it's a lost one even more now. Yeah, uh, that uh, it's it's a lost one even more. And we even lost it as we moved on into the Monday Night Wars and everything. Because now, instead of putting the wrestlers over as commentators, mm -hmm. we were always telling you to make sure you tune in and watch the pay-per-view coming up Sunday. Mm -hmm. We were promoting what was ahead instead of focusing on the guys at hand. Back in the day when I was watching wrestling, you know, they always, they always had, as they like to say, squash matches, matches or job matches, job guy matches, enhancement matches. They never did really have many main events on TV. Right. But the announcers back then always made you think that that guy who you knew was going to get beat had a chance. Oh yeah. Because they put them over and they made the superstars seem bigger than life. And, and I remember that. And I remember back near the end of what I was doing and we're talking about 99, 2000, 2001 at the beginning that we completely abandoned that. Yeah. And only thing I was, was a hype machine of, you know, and I, and overhyped stuff, uh, to the point to where the, uh, the magic of what we were doing was completely lost. Yeah. And, uh, that, that is like we've seen today. I mean, uh, announcers are like mic stands it's, you know, it's just yeah. don't bump into the furniture and don't get in the way. Right. But, uh, at, at that time though, did you have a feeling that what was going on? Because we're talking early eighties, you saw it was happening up North. But overall, because, uh, you know, there were some huge superstars, or I, sh I shouldn't say superstars, they weren't, but there were huge stars down in, in the WCW as well. Did you see it, uh, you know, I don't know if it was a ricochet happening just around uh, the country. Of course, the Superstation helped that. Right. But did, did you see it then changing? Uh, I, I, it didn't really change really until... Uh it changed really in the late, late eighties, uh, and into the nineties. At least because, I know. Yeah. Okay. Because we had, uh, you know, the territories ceased to exist. Right. Right. Because Vince went, you know, nationwide and then Jim Crockett tried to go against him nationwide. Right. And one by one, all the old territories started to fold like Florida championship wrestling and continental wrestling and mid South and. Jimmy bought mid South and I think he bought Florida at one time. And the, so the business started changing there when Vince and, and Jimmy, you know, we talk about the Monday night wars. There were wars. Yeah, way before I was just going to say that. Right. Yeah. I think that even, even before the, like you said before, right after WrestleMania had happened. And, uh, I think Vince had, uh, he had a station for a while that was involved with, uh, that didn't work out down there. And it was, I mean, those were wars going on right there that changed wrestling forever. Sure. Well, he took over. What happened was he bought Georgia championship wrestling. Vince did. Right. And uh, he bought it from the, uh, from Jim Barnett. Uh, and they bought it out in, uh, the, uh, 
uh, the Briscoe brothers, and they bought it out from Ole Anderson, and they started putting the WWF on the Superstation TBS. And that didn't last long because that no. was a big, big blowback. Then Jim Crockett bought that time from Vince McMahon for like, uh, I heard a million dollars. And then we started putting our shows in April of 2005 on the Superstation, and that's where the wars became because now we had two national promotions. Uh, and, um, yeah, it was, uh, it always was. I remember you, when I started working for Vince, Vince had was talking to me one time about the, uh, spirit of good competition. And I remember thinking, yeah, baloney. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's no spirit of good competition between you guys. You're at each other's throats. Uh, but, uh, I, I used to think that was very funny. Yeah. But uh, I think that Vince thrived on that though too at the same time he he loved that you know the whole yeah. thing with with turner and uh right well he doesn't you know, have it now i mean he won so yeah, yeah. i wonder what drives him now you know i don't know it, it isn't money we know that no i know got plenty yeah. of that hey but, do you hear my dog barking in the back uh no i just thought it was people recovering from the wedding I, I <laughs> actually my uh my daughter uh has uh just coming back into town right now from the honeymoon so uh, oh yeah, maybe Another she'll stop party tonight. Guys. Yeah, I, I, no. I listened to that episode. It was a riot. I uh, now I realize uh, <laughs> your kids, uh, they're they uh, where they got it from. I guess I should say. Yeah, <laughs> or where I got it from. Yeah, yeah, we all got it from Lois. Is what we did. Uh, yeah, on Lois. Why not? Yeah, but uh, when you came to the WWF, I mean, what was happening? Uh, down south that, that were you saying it's time to go or this great opportunity came, uh, how did that happen? No, well, here's what happened. I, uh, they were Jim Crockett sold to Turner broadcasting and uh, I, uh, I had a chance to meet with Jim Hurd who ran the, the, uh, wrestling product for TBS when they, when they bought it from the Crockett's and I met with him and I decided uh, I didn't want to work for him. And I decided I did not want to work for those guys. And it just so happened that, uh, JJ Dillon, had thought the same thing. He left. And according to the story that JJ told me, JJ said he went to Vince and he said, now that I'm working here, is anybody with the, uh, down with the Crockett's now with Turner that you would like to talk to? And Vince said, I'd like for you to check in with Tony Schiavone. So JJ huh. called me and I called Vince and Vince hired me, huh. uh, basically over the phone. Uh, and, oh, really? uh, you didn't do the trip. Uh, I, I imagine you I did, did it, the yes. trip, but you already knew you were going to be working then. That's right. Yeah. I did the trip, went to Greenwich, you know, kissed his ring, uh, <laughs> bowed in front of the painting, yes. uh, told him how handsome he was. Uh, and you actually went uh, out to the house. Were you at the yes, house? Yes, I did. Wow. Yeah, I so sure you did. saw the painting over. Yeah. In the actually, I don't, I, I, I'm being facetious. I never saw the painting and this was 89. Oh. So I'm not so sure the painting was there at that time. Oh, well, I, I've I heard about it showed up, but, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a classic. I'm sure yes. one day it'll be in a, yes, I don't know. All of fame. Strip, Out for strip club someday. <laughs> uh, so I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I got the job and, and I just did not want to work for Turner. Oh. And, uh, and, and that was the, the transition there for me. Yeah. And, and so coming up and you tell the story, I think you brought all the kids with you. They go in the office and, uh. You must have yeah. thought like, whoa, what, this is what a world this is going to be. I mean, what, it must have just been whirlwind. Yeah, it was. Uh, the kids were very young back then. The twins were 18 months old and they're 30 now. Wow. Uh, and uh, so it was, uh, and uh, Sean, I loved it there. And, and Vince was good to me and Linda was good to me. And, uh, 
It, it really was. Um, but I go back to this, and Lois and I talk about it, uh, that it just was not the, the, the right place for my family to live. Uh, and it was one of those decisions where, man, I don't want to go back and work for those idiots at Turner Broadcasting. They approached me. They wanted me to come back. Yeah. Uh, Jim Barnett called me, called me at my home in Wilton, Connecticut. I don't know how he got my home number, but he did. Jeez, and what did it cost to rent a house back then? It was, I know, <laughs> like Wilton. $2,200 a month. Yeah, folks, think about that. This is back in the 80s. 80, uh, 89, yeah. I think it's probably like what, five grand now to get that same house. Oh, yeah. yeah. And we, were, we couldn't afford to buy a house because we needed 10% down right. from Connecticut. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so it was just not a place that we could live. It just, and lo- my wife was unhappy. My wife, she wasn't demanding. Lois was not saying, you need to move us back right now. But she was, she told me how unhappy she was and yeah. she would like to move back. So they have, they got in touch with me and offered me a lot more money than Vince offered me. Yeah. And, uh, I knew that the price of real estate was much cheaper in Atlanta. And I just made a decision that living in Connecticut was not right for me. And, um, and that was the decision to come back. So, but was it a one year deal or did you even have a contract? I, I had no deal. I had no deal. Wow. Because I remember Vince at the house, and I asked him when I was at the house in Greenwich, and this was after I kissed his ring and after I yeah. bowed in front of the painting. Yeah. Uh, I said, uh, I said, am I going to get a contract? He said, well, do you want a contract? Uh, I said, well, I've never had a contract. I don't know. He said, well, and I never will forget this. He said, a contract is worth as much as the paper it's printed on. Yeah. If you want, I'll give you one. And I said, nah, we don't need to do that. And I never had one. So yeah, I guess that, you're right about that. The- <laughs> I know, right? So uh, that well, that was the end of that, and uh, and we were it, it. I lasted almost exactly one year there. That, you know, the- I'm telling you, I look back and I can't believe that it was uh, 12 months. Yeah, because uh, you did a lot coming in right, right away. Right. Well, actually, you know, it was more than 12 months. It was like the middle of January. Uh, to April the following year, because like WrestleMania six right. was my last event. So a little bit more, but I, uh, you know, I moved up there, uh, and lived with Bruce a little bit and moved up there and, uh, in the middle of January and my, I didn't move my family up until the first of April, uh, until we found a house. Yeah. Uh, so I was there and, and th- those, uh, month, two month, two and a half months that I lived up there by myself, I basically stayed at Titan TV all the time. I had no family to go back to, so I just worked. <laughs> well, we had a nice kitchen there. It was nice. Yeah, it was. And, those, and those, they had those those dressing rooms that actually had a bench on them. You could lay down, take, uh, take yeah. a nap. You could have lived there. Yeah. Well, there was uh, <laughs> there were couches. Kids. <laughs> yeah, there were couches and edit one and edit two. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, there was a, it was a good place to work. But as far as uh, doing the the events uh, uh, that you got to do, and, and I think you, did, you filled in on – well, you did challenge. Uh, I don't know. You did a did you 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 did a lot of play by play, right? Uh, did you really enjoy doing that? Because I'm telling you, I thought you fit right in. Yeah. And I I well I thought that you were going to be around for a long time, and and I never really knew the story of of uh, you know one day you were you were, it was like Tony's leaving, and I'm like what? Yeah. And yeah, now I understand. I mean, it is it is a very very tough place to live. It's very expensive. I. Uh, yeah. God, I bet I I bought a condo there that uh, doesn't cost as much as the house that I have here, and it was you know, like you know two bedrooms had a nice little deck overlooking yeah. the pool. You know, we're waiting woods, 
and uh, it, it's just it's rough. But what are yeah. some of the uh, of that year? And and I try and get people to understand a little bit what it was like to live in that world, and uh, you know, and do the 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 events that that we did. Uh, how different a world was it? And you did mention a little bit, but when you came up into that uh, and, and started working for Vince. Well, I, uh, a couple of things I, I, uh, they decided according to when I started working there, uh, they decided they were going to give Bobby Heenan his own show. And I don't think that lasted long. So they took Heenan off a challenge. They put me on with gorilla. Right. And, uh, and I really, in the time I worked with gorilla at, at WWE challenge, WWF challenge, I learned a lot because gorilla is one of the great men ever, yes. uh, much like Alfred Hayes, one of the great yeah. men ever in the business. So he was good to me. Uh, he gave me guidance. He told me what he thought Vince liked or what he thought Vince didn't like. And I got to work with him, uh, and really, really enjoyed it. Uh, but there, the, there, I, I also got to do, and this is, uh, if anybody who's followed me on my podcast or has read any of the interviews that I've done knows that when they asked me, what was my single greatest day as a wrestling announcer? I can tell you that it was when we did Madison square garden network on a Saturday afternoon, mm-hmm. Lord Alfred Hayes and I did the call of the play by play. And then we took one of those, uh, Trump shuttles, uh, to the, uh, to Boston and did new England sports network that night. So I got to work yeah. to Madison, got to work to Madison square garden in the afternoon, Boston garden that night. And, for a guy who had been in a mom and pops organization, now I'm in two of the biggest venues in the world. Yeah. And they're both sold out, and I'm experienced in Hulkamania. That was like my biggest day ever. That's yeah, the day I that think it, it, Yeah, but I think that that was um, – we the, we did some of those events together. I think I did uh, yeah, interviews. And, there. Right. And there was one time when, when – and I think I heard you mention it one time. But we went – remember, it was just a tremendous day because it was like this double shot. Right. And, and then we went to dinner at this Italian restaurant. Right. Yeah. And it was you and me and uh, Nelson yeah. and I, Kerwin Silvies was with us at yeah. that time. I don't think I'm not so sure. And, and we drove back from Boston back to Connecticut. Yeah. Well, that we had the- money and, uh, we had a lot of great food that day. Yeah. I remember it distinctly and it was a great day. Now they started, you know, I did, uh, a summer slam of 89 with Jesse which was a big deal for me because I watched Jesse doing Saturday night's main event. And he was by far the best color man in the business back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got and, a you chance. Know, it wasn't easy to work like, like uh, with Jesse. Uh, he just clicked with certain people. I right. never thought that, and p- people could you know say differently, but I didn't ever really like the uh, gorilla and Jesse combination. Okay. I just, for me, it just didn't work. I thought that Jesse and Vince were tremendous together. And it's right. the only time I ever really, you know, enjoyed Vince's play by play with was when he played off Jesse. I thought they, right. they were great together. But, yeah. uh, like you said, nobody matches like Bobby and, and, uh, gorilla, uh, fantastic as a duo. But the fact that you were able to slip in there and you guys worked really well together. I thought you and, and Gino were just, were, were great. And like yeah. a few people. And then you mentioned Jesse too. That isn't easy to do, especially with uh, somebody like Jesse, who's a very overpowering personality. You have to know how to how to work with him. Yeah, you got to know how to work with him. And basically, you you do this, Sean. You just let him run the show, uh, and you let him be the star. And uh, I have no qualms about doing that, yeah, uh, uh, at all. Because again, it's my job to put people over. 
And now not only am I putting people over in the ring, I'm putting my color guy over too, right? So that that's that's my job. And so I never had a problem with that. But after SummerSlam, now we're talking, I've been working there since the middle of January and, have, and I've been on challenge now. But yeah. after SummerSlam, things started to go downhill for me as far as an announcer is concerned. Uh, they, the next, of course, we only did pay a four pay-per-views back then. Yep. And uh, the next pay-per-view was going to be the Survivor Series uh, coming up uh, at the Rosemont Horizon in Chicago. And I never, I never heard anything. But I never heard anything about, am I going to do the play-by-play? You know, I thought now I'm doing SummerSlam. Maybe I'm yeah. the guy going to be the play-by-play for all uh-huh. the pay-per-views. Well, that was not the case. And Bruce would come to me. You know, Vince uh, was never good at telling you, at least back then, was never good at telling you, the bad news. Mm-hmm. He was always good at telling you the good news. And Bruce would come to me and he says, Vince is concerned about your play by play. He thinks you town. Ta- this is true. He said this, he thinks you sound too Southern. <laughs> uh, and I said, okay, and I didn't a year ago or I didn't months ago. Yeah. And he decided to bring me up. He decided to hire me. Right. right. Uh, and then again, if you think about, uh, all those years he had Jim Ross as his announcer, yeah. makes your head right. explode. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, it had to be a little bit more than that. So, uh, I just, I, I didn't know. And, uh, I was in Nelson, Nelson's office, Nelson Swagler's office. And I said, well, you know, I, we were talking about going to, uh, the Rosemont horizon and doing SummerSlam. And I, I mean, doing a survivor series. And I said, you know, Nelson, I, I don't know if I'm doing the play by play or not. Yeah. And Nelson said, well, gorilla's doing the play by play. Everybody knows that. I said, well, well, I don't know it. So I went immediately went into Bruce and Bruce said, uh, yeah, gorilla's doing it. Didn't I tell you that said no. So now I'm thinking, you know, everybody around here is full of crap. So, uh, we are at a TV and I just decide I'm going to ask the man myself. He needs to tell me himself. And I checked with Jim Stewart, who was his driver and it was always there at the door. I knock on the door and I never again, Vince was, uh, looking in the mirror and uh, I don't know, washing his face or something. I said, Vince, I haven't heard. Am I doing the survivor series or is somebody else doing it? And he paused. He said, we haven't made that decision yet. And I knew I was being lied to there, but Mm. I also knew that he was not the one to tell me that he wanted Bruce to tell me that. Uh, and he probably got with Bruce said, did you tell him? And I don't know what happened after that. So now the next one is Royal rumble in January in Orlando. And again, I'm not scheduled to do the play-by-play. Vince is going to do the play-by-play with Jesse. Mm. Uh, and what they did was uh, the Vince McMahon uh, junket, whoever that was, the contingent went down to Vince's house in Boca and went down early and just spent a couple of days like Friday and Saturday in Boca and had a great time in the sun. So when they got to Orlando that day, I never forget. Well, you know, we usually met at noon, but yeah. the, the, uh, the meeting was delayed a little bit because Vince had not arrived yet and they just arrived late. And Vince, I remember sitting down at the meeting, you know, Vince was always at the head table. First thing he said, and I don't, you probably don't remember this. He looked at me, he said, do you have your tux? I went, yes, sir. He said, I don't feel like doing play by play today. You're doing it. <laughs> yeah. And so that's, that's how I found out I was doing play by play for the wow. world. And then of course by WrestleMania, I had already given my notice. So I, I really fallen out of favor. With him, I don't know if it was one of those tests that they say that you get working with Vince or not. Maybe I failed it. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, I, it was tough living there. 
And I felt that maybe my career wasn't going the right way with Vince McMahon. Yeah. wasn't sure. Well, and as we have learned over the years, and, and even then, that for, for just unknown, uh, nothing can be explained reasons, he would just turn. Uh, uh, and, and sometimes it, wouldn't, it would last a week. It might last a couple of months. It might, you know, even longer. And then suddenly you're back in and you have no idea why or whatever happened in the meantime. Yeah, and, that's 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 a case of split personality, I think. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. if, if uh, you would have still been on there, you, uh, I think that things would have been different. But, and I know you 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 uh, mentioned how that was a tough decision that when you got back and you realized like, what the hell did I do? Right. But how yeah. how could you have changed it really? Because you put the family first. Right. It sounds like, and would you have made it a different, really a different decision and said, you know, I'll, I'll figure out a way I'll go back and forth or what, or did you say, no, this is, this is, this is what I'm going to do. Well, no, I said, this is what I'm going to do. And it's well documented that once I got back to Atlanta, I immediately called him back and said, I've made, I've made a gigantic mistake. Uh, and of course, um, Emily fine, uh, Feinberg, who was his secretary. Uh, I talked to her a couple of times and she said, Vince said, you have a young family, you've moved them. And of course this was a, this sounds good. It may have been just yeah. a line. Yeah. You have a young family, you moved them from Charlotte to Connecticut. And a year later you moved into Atlanta. He said, stay in Atlanta and make it work. Yeah. Uh, and, and I did, uh, after that. So I knew there was no, but I was, uh, I was miserable here for mm. the first uh, couple of years. And, and then things, you know, you just kind of try to keep your head down, work hard and, uh, and make things right. And so it was, uh, you know, I, I joke with my kids because my, my two oldest sons, Matt and Chris, are just these gigantic, I mean, they're gigantic Atlanta Braves fans, just uh-huh. big as they could be. I mean, that that's all they, they, that's not all they do, but they talk about the Braves, they call each other, and they hang on everything the Braves do. And I keep telling them, I said, uh-huh, had I not moved, you'd be Yankees fans right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit, no, yeah. no way we, uh, you know, yeah. right. That's really so, funny. Uh, two lifestyles, you know? Connecticut yeah. and Atlanta. Really. True, but I mean, for selfish reasons, I really wish you would have stuck around. I I stayed until '93, and that was when things were, you know, starting to change there. I often look back at that and go, "Hey, what? You know, I was young and had stupid, and you know, you think other things are going to happen, right?" And it was, you know, it's been a great ride since. I've gotten to do a lot of other things, but I always wondered too. Eh, I wonder if I would have stuck around, but it was, uh, you know, like you said, things happen. You move forward, right? Uh, when you went back down south, though, and you said it was really tough for the first couple of years, but when uh, it, you know, WCW started to become competitive, was did it become fun again, or was the way that place was operated and all the politics involved never allow that to happen? Well, it never allowed it to happen. I never had the feeling at WCW, uh, and there were some good people that worked here. Uh, I never had the feeling of WCW that I was part of the team. I never felt like, uh, that I wanted to go out and, you know, I, I never felt like I wanted to go out and eat dinner with any of these guys. Mm. And I'm not going to say their names, but I mean, you know, yourself and Kevin Granith and Alfred and Carlucci and even Kevin Dunn and Kerwin. Yeah. Uh, and we all got still could roll them off. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we all got along and we liked each mm. other and I went to baseball games with Kevin Dunn. Yeah. Uh, I went out to dinner with Kerwin. I went to dinner with, with Granith. And 
I, I felt a part of them. I never felt it here. Uh, and it was, uh, you just kind of, you know, you just kind of do your job and, and hope the years go by. Now, when it, when it started to pick up and business got pretty good, you know, that's when Eric took over yeah. Bischoff and Eric and I were very friendly, but Eric was a very demanding guy to work for. Mm-hmm. And now as we go on and I start making more money and more money and more money, uh, the pressure is on because Eric, you know, was, was very, uh, quick to tell me that this is why you make the big bucks, the pressure of what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, and compared to the boys, it wasn't big bucks, but it was more, it was big bucks compared to a minor league, what a minor league baseball. Yeah. Right. No, oh, yeah. absolutely. That was yeah. a lot. Going so on it was so it's tough. Uh, and it was an easy place to work. And by the time it all went crashing down, I had really had enough of it. Really. Yeah. I had had enough of the wrestling that I had loved and grew up on. It was no longer around. It's killed. You know, I had a yeah. conversation with, with Jim Ross uh, a few weeks back and uh, I asked him about that, that atmosphere. And it, for him, uh, I think that, you know, he was one of those guys that was kind of caught in the middle. He was the, the boys thought that he had information and was playing, uh, you know, playing them and helping to move the chess pieces. And then management was a little bit wary of what, and he, so he was kind of caught in the middle and it didn't seem like he could ever win. Did you feel the same way? Because I know you talked about, and I think Bobby had mentioned, you know, that he felt like you were always, you were always withholding things from him. Yeah. Uh, was it like yeah. that? I mean, did you feel no. like that? I, I, I knew, I knew what, I knew what, uh, the announcers thought of me, uh, uh and, and I was very removed, especially when we were, things were starting to go badly. I was very removed from everybody. Uh, and I, there was a feeling that Tony would go and sit in the office with Eric yeah. or, or sit in the office with the, with the, whoever was booking at that time, Dusty, Kevin Sullivan or whatever. Yeah. And come up with all this stuff. And I completely removed myself from everyone. I would take a book and, and go read somewhere in the arena. Uh, and, and the boys didn't room. realize that they thought you were part of the yeah. conniving team. Yes, they did. And uh, I never held stuff from him, never held stuff back from it at all. A lot of times they didn't smarten me up. They smartened me up when they felt like uh, they should. And they didn't, when they wanted what they considered to be a real react. But by the time I was doing real reacts, I was so jaded that nothing surprised me anymore. Yeah. Um, but, uh, the Hulk Hogan thing did surprise me in 96, but most, um, most things didn't surprise me. Uh, but no, I didn't, you know, the, the Heenan story with me is one that is my fault. Yeah. And, you know, he's, uh, he went on and he went, I'm not going to look, I'm not going to call Bobby Heenan a liar. I know he's passed on. I wouldn't call him a liar to his face, but he embellished a lot of things that we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but he was very angry at me and he had a right to be. So he, uh, he said a lot of bad things, but we, we, before he passed away, we, we finally aired things out mm-hmm. and, uh, but, but no, I was, and, and uh, on top of that, it, boy, and I hated this too. I was uh, at WCW. I was the lead announcer, but I was also in charge of the announcers, which was yeah. the dumbest thing yeah. ever. And a which job you didn't want. <laughs> yes. Which basically meant, meant Sean that I approved their expense reports. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, and I gave them, uh, you know, how HR, you know, in your big corporation, right? Yeah. Yeah. I gave them reviews. Okay. How am I going to review Bobby Heenan? Yeah. Yeah. I, so I would just write down some stuff. I'd say here, look at it, sign it. And that was it. I never sit down and said, uh, Mr. Heenan, this is your review. 
we're going to take about an hour to talk about what you, you know, you just can't, you just know I'm one of the guys. Yeah. So, uh, you didn't tell him, you know, you need to stop having your chair so high. Uh, yeah, that's a, that was funny. Uh, that, that's funny. We, we make a big joke out of that now on the podcast. Uh, because I don't, you know, I, I always like my chair all the way up. I always did, but I never thought it should be higher than Heenan's. But if Heenan thought that, by God, it's a great story, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, yeah. and you, you know, you talk about uh, Bobby in that sense, and this is true with a lot of people. I mean, for God's sakes, uh, you and I were uh, we, we were uh, pretty close at that time when you were with the WWF. Right. When you lost, we, we lost, we lost touch. And life gets in the way. I mean, life, things happen. You've got right. kids and you're trying to make a living and you're thinking, well, I don't know if they want to talk to me, but you know, th- to me, this is the, this is the true test. If you, if you, somebody you don't see or talk to in 10, 20 years and, uh, you see them and it's like you saw them yesterday yeah. and they don't hold, they, they, they understand the same situation. You didn't want to talk to me or you, I did something to you. And, and I was you know, kind of amazed when, uh, like I read Bobby's, uh, one of his books, he wrote a couple of them, but one of them, and there was, you know, I'm like reading, and then I'll see this chapter that, you know, Sean Mooney, you know, tried to hide his past and wrote, and I'm like, what, Bobby, what that, yeah. you know, it was just like this slap. And I'm like, right. what the hell? I never had heat with Bobby. Never. Right. right. And I, and I, you know, I, I certainly was close to him. I worked with him, uh, you know, but I didn't know, like, did he want to stay in touch? You know, and I just felt like, and it seemed like when, when you hear that he was very hurt by people not uh, staying in touch over the years. Yeah. And if I would have known that, geez, I would have loved to have picked up the phone and talked to Bobby and say how you're doing, you know? Well, he was like that, Sean. He, he I really, did, I didn't know he, that. yeah, he wanted you to stay in touch with him. That's where huh. he was. And I wasn't good at that. And when he got fired, is really Craig indeed. Leathers calls me at my house and Craig says, uh, Eric is firing Bobby Heenan. And I pause a beat and I say, well, I guess as the, uh, supervisor of the announcers, you want me to call him and fire him. Mm-hmm. And Craig said, no, I've called him and mm-hmm. I've told him, he said, but I'm telling you that he is, uh, he has uh, threatened a lawsuit. So I'm telling you as your supervisor, have no contact with him. Oh. And I said, okay. And I should have, I've said this many times in many podcasts. Mm-hmm. I should have said, okay, I won't picked up the phone and called him to see how he was doing. But being a, a good uh, soldier, I didn't talk to him, and that mm-hmm. really pissed him off, and that was the beginning of of our big problems. So, yeah. and that's my fault. You know, I, I I I handled that situation the wrong way. Now I can't do anything about it now, and I couldn't do anything about it a day later. But uh, he was very angry with me about that because he, again, back to what we were just saying, he was he wanted you to stay close to him. You know, personal. He would on Christmas he would make a point to call his friends. Mm-hmm. And just see how they were doing. He wanted to stay in, stay in touch with people. So yeah. everybody's different. Well, I mean, I'm I glad think... you did, in a sense, fix yeah. it as yeah. best you could. But uh, just a that uh, that is just a shame that that yeah. all those years were lost. Right. And uh, you know, it just it's it's a damn shame because yeah. I love Bobby. I mean, he helped oh, me he was... so much, and uh, you know, you know what it's like to be around him, and just the. Uh, you know, and gorilla too, you know, and you think about those times with those people and it's, uh, you know, Gino, uh, came to my wedding, you know, Alfred was at my wedding right. and, uh, it's just, uh, you know, those guys were just amazing people. They were uh, when, when, uh, it, it, you mentioned, uh, you know, when you're last, you're talking, uh, when things, you know, Monday nitro wars, 
Yeah. Was there ever a point when when they when you guys overtook the you know the the w, the big uh, you know wrestling operation on the mountain? Did you get a chance to enjoy that or no? Was it ever a time when you were like, God, yeah, I had a part, I had a piece of this. There were, you know, there were, uh, we, uh, <laughs> this is odd because I never, uh, and I was talking to Jr. about this. I never watched what the WWF was doing back then. Oh. Uh, and I was never one of those guys. Maybe I should have, maybe I should have, you know, had a keen sense of the business and watch what they do and maybe try to do it better. But I always thought, you know, I'm going to worry about our product. I'm going to worry about us. I'm going to worry about trying to do my job and not worry about what the other guys are doing. Eric Bischoff did enough for that for everybody. Uh, So uh, back during that time, I never really, uh, there was a, there were like, I don't know how many weeks during the stretch that we were number one. And uh, we, we used to subscribe to uh, entertainment weekly here at the house back when magazines meant something. And, uh, I used to, you could open up and see the top uh, rated cable shows. Right. And we were like number one and number two, they would say WCW Monday Nitro. And I remember looking at that thinking, wow, man, that's us. And, and and I really got a, I got a kind of a, a thrill about that, but I never did, you know, look at the numbers like Eric did every day. I just tried to do my job, put my nose to the grindstone, so to speak. And, think that everything would take care of itself, which it did, I guess. But it's unfortunate that, uh, because you're not the, you're not the only one that said, and, uh, and, and, uh, Jim talked about it. And a few of the other superstars I've talked to that even during that run, when you're supposed to be just uh, loving this, it's just, all, there's all of this behind the scenes turmoil and people, you know, pissed at each other and there's heat and there's right. that nobody could really enjoy that ride. No, that you're right. And one of the reasons is it's a job and, uh, Conrad and I were just recently did a, did a podcast that's going to air Monday. We actually recorded it this morning and I, and I told him the fact that there are a lot of fans that say, you know, Shivani doesn't remember anything. Well, Shivani remembers a lot, yeah. but I remember, I remember more about wrestling when I was a fan yeah. and th- those are the moments I remember when I was working in wrestling we cranked out most so much stuff on a day-to-day basis and a weekly basis that they, they just ran on top of each other. And I, and I challenge anybody that says, well, had I worked in wrestling, I remember all baloney. Yeah, absolutely. Baloney. It just, it, it becomes instead of becoming a passion, it becomes a job. Uh, and it becomes, then it became labor. Uh, and, and then you kind of just shut things out and look, I, uh, well, Conrad and I were doing one uh, on our episode of what happened when we were doing an episode. I think it was our last pay-per-view. It was called uh, WCW greed or sin or one of those crazy things. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm, I'm watching this with Conrad and I'm seeing this Jason jet walk out the opening <laughs> match. And I'm listening to me talking about Jason jet. I couldn't have told you who Jason jet was from, I didn't ever remember the guy who the hell is that? <laughs> yeah, and, and what? yeah. Who the hell is that? And I must know what I'm talking about. Yeah, and I'm uh, talking but, about uh, him. I'm talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> so I just don't remember that stuff. A guy said, do you remember the time the fan climbed the cage, uh, during the Hogan uh, Piper match at, uh, I think it was in Las Vegas. And I went, no, I don't. <laughs> and then I went back and I watched it. And then all of a sudden, yeah, I remember when that happened. Well, but I, and, did, you know, at that no, point, yeah, and it's crazy. And I, I, I've got, I've gotten, uh, you know, a lot of 
correspondence from people and they say, remember when you did this match at the Boston garden with Alfred Hayes and what was yeah. that event like? And I, I, I don't know if I have the heart to tell him, but a lot of those matches, we weren't there. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> exactly. I mean? We were back in Stanford. They'd bring the tapes back. Sure. From, <laughs> and, and I'm right. supposed to remember all this great event. They're talking about, Oh yeah. Remember this happened. This happened. like, ah, uh, yeah, no, honestly can't tell you that because right. we've let out a big secret here, right. but, it, but it's amazing. Uh, when it started to really, and it's like I said, it's unfortunate you couldn't even enjoy the ride, but then it got when, uh, the WWE overtook WCW again, yeah. uh, then it got really bad, right? Yeah. Yeah, it did. And of course, you know, Eric was, uh, Eric had been removed as the boss and they put a guy named Bill Bush in and, uh, Bill, you know, and I talked and he wanted me to take a more active role in what was going on. And then, uh, I guess they brought Eric back and Bill Bush walked and then they brought, yeah. you know, they had Vince Russo here and it was just yeah. changing. And then, uh, you know, uh, they had this guy, uh, Brad, who was in charge of the company and I knew the company was, you know, and then you'd hear all these things, you know, it's going to be sold. It's going to go bankrupt. They're going to be sold to AOL or AOL is going to merge with Turner, Turner time Warner and yeah. AOL doesn't have, they don't like wrestling and they're going to get rid of it. And it was, you know, it, the, the, the rumors that you'd hear and the, the stuff that you would hear, uh, affected your job, you know, because yeah. now I, now I'm thinking, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I mean, I have a job by next month. So by the time, great way to work, huh? Isn't a great way it works. <laughs> so by the time January of 2001 went around, now we're talking about we're in our last three months of existence. I started looking for work, uh, by my contract. Uh, I could not look for work, uh, out of some wording in the contract. I didn't care. I went around to, I went around the TV stations in Atlanta, radio station in Atlanta, looking for work. Uh, and, uh, because I still needed got young kids. Yes. <laughs> I was full of kids. Yeah, right. They were in middle they school. Had one of those, uh, multi-million dollar, uh, uh, contracts, multi-year contracts. Right. I didn't, uh, uh, but it, it went down and, uh, but, and, and I did get a job that same day it went down, believe it or not. And, uh, that enabled me to go back doing baseball again. So I was very fortunate that. And, it, and one thing Turner had going for it and believe you me, it didn't have much going for it. One thing Turner had going for it was a, a fantastic benefits plan and a fantastic severance package. Oh. Uh, and so that, that was good. So I, I had a, a pretty good parachute, uh, to land on from that, but it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was really bad. It was mm-hmm. really, really bad. And Brad Siegel was his name and he was like the golden boy of Turner broadcasting. They said everything he uh, everything he took under his wing and turned our broadcast and turned to gold. Well, we didn't. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and then of course they sold it, which is the crime of the century. You know, okay. they sold the, the entire video library for like <laughs> 3 million, uh, in which Vince made back in probably one day. Yeah. I think he's putting uh, that in on the network every day now from <laughs> exactly. So yeah, that is, that uh, was a deal of the century. Yeah. Uh, sure no will. question about it. Now that was in, you're talking March of 2001. Right? 2001, yeah, March 26, 2001 was our last nitro. Uh, I, I remember that date only because of Conrad reminded me of that. I knew it was March of 2000. Was that on the day of your daughter's wedding? <laughs> uh, I think you do a better Marlon Brando than me. But. No, 
So yeah, I do. The day of my daughter's wedding, I was. Uh, I did. Um, it was not the day my my Almost. daughter got married on the twenty fourth. It was the day of our alleged last show of WCW or WHW. What happened when oh, on right. Monday the twenty sixth? Uh, and ironically enough, it was the same day that uh, Major League Wrestling announced that that I'm going to be doing wrestling again on cable TV on the BN Network, Is BN Sports. Isn't that something? That is, yeah, that's incredible. And, and yeah, I want to talk about the that. Thing. Yeah. But yeah. but during that time, and and uh, I went through the same uh, kind of transition of things. When when I left there, I mean, I went and worked in uh, the, for WWOR, and then I worked in uh, WBZ in Boston, and that turned out to be not a great experience. And I just I went home. I didn't know what the hell else to do. I was tired. I didn't want to be in news, and uh, you know, I came back here, and I ended up working for Fox Sports Net, which it was at the time. Mm-hmm. But what was that? I mean, you go back to to minor league baseball, and I I know it wasn't for a lot of money, but you needed to work. Uh, was that like a, a I don't know a pivotal point in your life? I mean, uh, to think about okay, where am I now, and what do I do next? Because that's exactly what I was. That's what I well, was. Well, no, I I actually I uh, when WCW went down in March of two thousand one, I got a job that day working for WSB radio and you were done uh, with wrestling at this point. Like, I, I've had, I've, because they ruined it for you. Yeah. I walked away from it. Now, listen, I, I did want to, I did inquire about working, going back to the WWF, uh, but they didn't want me and that's fine. Did you talk uh, to Kevin or did you ever, I mean, who yeah, did you? yeah. He said he'd call me. He never called me. Talked to him one time, you know, Kevin never had the greatest people skills in the world. Uh, <laughs> Uh, good guy, really. I really enjoyed him, but uh, he could be very ab- abrasive. Uh, so I, uh, I started working for WSB Radio part time, and then uh, this was 2001. By 2003, uh, and I had a severance pay of like, uh, gosh, what was it? 18 months yeah. severance pay. Uh, by the time the severance pay ran out, uh, WSB Radio hired me full time. And I started doing Atlanta Braves pregame and postgame. And I stayed with WSB all the way up until 2015, the end of 2015. So I had a full-time job. Uh, and then the, the, the minor league baseball thing came about. Uh, and uh, so that when WSB was kind enough to let me do minor league baseball and work for them at the same time. And, uh, and I did it on another station, uh, which is kind of out of the market, uh, a little bit north of Atlanta. And so I, the minor league baseball was just extra money for me. I, I didn't, uh, I didn't have minor league baseball as, uh, as my mainstream of income. And then I started working WSB also had the rights to the Georgia Bulldogs and I started working for them. And then, uh, they, uh, lost the rights to IMG and IMG took the rights of the Georgia Bulldogs. And now all of a sudden I was getting more money for doing Georgia. So I was working three jobs wow. at that time. Uh, and, uh, to, Were you loving it though? I mean, here you're doing kind of what, what oh, yeah. you just love. Yeah. yeah. And other yeah. sports too, not just baseball. Right. Yeah. I, I basically have had something to do every sports season now since uh, 2003. I've got a gig during baseball, gig during basketball, gig during football. Yeah. Uh, so, I, yeah, it's it's been great. Absolutely great. Huh. Well, that's awesome. And, you know, you, you, you mentioned Kevin Dunn. I want to get too far past that. But, uh, and we knew Kevin back when he was a producer. Right. And, uh, Really, uh, I, I think I knew then that this guy was something special, though. There was something yeah. about uh, Kevin. I've never known anybody who could read people like he does. 
right. and he steps ahead of what like the situation going on. And I remember thinking uh, at the time that we was producing the shows that uh, as I, I don't know at the time, well, you know, he was this young kid, uh, right. insecure about a lot of things or whatever. But I, one thing about that guy, when he, what, 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 with his job, what making decision on what would work for whatever we were doing, whatever they were cutting, whatever they were putting together, there was never a hesitation with him. Right. And he's the one guy, I mean, you talk about people skills though, there is a very select few human beings on this planet who can be around, uh, and work, uh, for decades around Vince. Right. That is special. And he, uh, is maybe there's one or two, that's it. And he's one of them. Who's, right. you know what I'm talking about when that, and so, uh, it's, it's just amazing what he's done and, and deservedly so what he's, that he's, you know, running the place basically for production. But I remember even back then and he would, you know, wore jeans and his, he always had the high tops on. Right. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just amazing. Like I said, how we, how you see what that corporation has become is just amazing. You know? Yeah. I mean, he's, uh, he's obviously set for life, uh, <laughs> And, uh, but he was, he was, he really will go down as the, probably the best production person I've ever worked with. Uh. I remember, I remember sitting in the edit suites and, you know, in the old edit suites, uh, used to go in there and they used to, used to make an edit and then you could do a preview and then you do the edit and he would always say, I don't want to preview anything. Let's go ahead and roll it. And if it does, if it's not good, we'll do it again. And I remember, I just, that's one of the things that stands out with me. And I really enjoyed working with Kevin really, really did. So, uh, but you know, he was, uh, he could be, uh, 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 tough to deal with at that time, but I guess, uh, you know, that's maybe one of the reasons Vince likes him so much. Well, something, but people, yeah. uh, they're real, like I said, there's not many who were able to do that. Bruce has been, it was able to be in that orbit, but, uh, you know, yeah. on and off, but, right. uh, Kevin, and, and not only just the production part of it, but, the, but, you know, dealing with the, the other side of it to be yeah, able to go there. over to the tower and deal with all those people. And where I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's just amazing. But as you mentioned, you, you, you've never stopped working. And it, it's kind of funny that people, it's the same like when I left and, and it, it's, it's kind of like you leave the planet, like you, yeah. whatever happened to that guy. Well, <laughs> yeah. I kept working. I, you know, I, yeah. and, and that you were, you were working all the way through. Yeah. I didn't but, want to be pigeonholed in just being a wrestling announcer. I really didn't. And I knew, you know, when I left there, it was 1989 and I was what, 32 at that time. And, uh, I just did not want to, uh, be seen as a wrestling announcer. So well, I didn't take a wrestling job. I didn't look for with the exception going back to Vince, which, you know, cause I love working there. I just didn't want to be seen as a guy that would take any type of independent, you know, job and, right. and try to hang on to the business. Uh, I didn't want to be seen that. Cause I know there's a lot of shady, at least there were a lot of shady people out there at that time. So I want to do, I just, I just, I made a decision. I'm, I'm doing a cold Turkey guys. I'm gone. Yeah. And I, I had a lot of requests for interviews, which I didn't do. Uh, and, uh, I just, uh, stayed away from it. Yeah. And I, and, and that's exactly what I did too, because, uh, right. you know, all the time anybody would contact me is this, they wanted me to talk bad about the company or get right. dirt about Vince. And, um, I, I, I can't do that. He took very good care of me. If it right. wasn't for him, I would have never had the career that I had. Exactly. So and now here we go. I know. And now we, uh, fast forward to 2018 and thank God to nostalgia and the millennials who want to go back and live their childhood. And we're back again, talking about wrestling. That's exactly right. And, and bringing us <laughs> right up to that point, uh, the, the podcast yeah. and 
did you, was it really initially you were kind of kicking and screaming to do it? I wasn't kicking and screaming. I was like, no, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) it was, it was like, uh, I don't want to do this, but it was one of those things, you know, uh, Lois believes in this. I don't necessarily believe in it. She believes in one of the, I don't know if you're like this, if you are, go ahead and tell me, but she believes that things happen for a plan. Things a reason, a reason. Yes. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. All right. All right. So how else are you going to live that way? <laughs> like, okay. You know, so anyway, you have optimism. Well, well I, I just think it's kind of a roll of the dice. So anyway, so, uh, Laurie got in, engaged in, uh, in December of 20, where are we now? 2018 in 2016, December, 2016, Christmas day, she got engaged and I immediately panicked because I just didn't know if I could give her the wedding that I wanted to give her. So that was December, Christmas day, two weeks later, uh, a week later, first part of January, uh, we're doing a basketball game at Stegman Coliseum. We hook into, uh, the studios at IMG in Winston. There's a producer on the other end. There's me on the other end. And the producer was telling me, he said, have you ever thought about doing a podcast? And I went, no. Yeah. He said, well, he said, I listened to this guy, Conrad Thompson, do a podcast with Bruce Pritchard and they talk about the WWE WWF. And he said, you ought to consider doing that. And I went, no, I, I don't want to do it anymore. So that was like, that was like on like a Wednesday. We used to do a basketball game Wednesday, Saturday, the following Monday, I get an email from Conrad Thompson. Mm-hmm. And it was a very long email outlining. He was doing a podcast with Ric Flair called the woo nation. Right. And Rick it Flair, didn't work out. It didn't work out. And the reason it didn't work out, anybody that knows Ric Flair knows that his uh, attention span lasts about three weeks. <laughs> That's it. Okay. He's going to move on to something else. Right, something else. Right. Yeah. So, so we're not doing the woo nation anymore. I've got this idea about how we can do a podcast, go back and take a look at, uh, the old stuff in WCW talk about stuff in the back in the, that happened in the, in the past. And, uh, he laid it out for me about how much money he thought I could make with sponsorships and selling t-shirts and Lois and I talked and Lois says, you know, it's, it was meant to be daughter's getting, you could use the money. Uh, and so I said, yes. And we did it on January 30th of 2017. Uh, and it really, at first it didn't like, uh, it, uh, it, it really didn't work because again, Tony Schiavone didn't remember any, everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think some of the fans are disappointed that I didn't remember anything, but then we started being just stupid, yeah. uh, doing real, you know, real juvenile, uh, guys type humor. Yeah. The watch alongs and yeah. yeah watch alongs throwing around F bombs and be <laughs> making fun of, of guys. Uh, you know, every time Gene Oakland do an interview, I would pretend I'm Gene. And every time a wrestler did an interview, I'm really, I'm, I didn't know you did a Gene. Oh yeah. Well, I don't do a gene. <laughs> uh, Tony Schiavone. Give me a little bit. Uh, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. A long time. You, ladies close- and gentlemen, be sure to join the wrestling hotline. Call one 9900 Don't tell your parents. They don't give a damn about you. You give know things like money. that. Right. Uh, you know, and and, and doing by the way, that's st- a terrible gene, but uh, it's good. Yeah, it is. It <laughs> is. Uh, but it was. And your, bar- uh, your Marlin is much better. <laughs> thank you. It is. But, it's not bad, really. Thank you. Uh, you don't even need the stuffed cheeks. Thank you. I'm off of you. 
so, uh, so we, it, it became now a kind of a, it's, it's different than anything else anybody does because we don't talk to, uh, we don't do an interview like you and I are doing here. We just Conrad and I talk and, and, uh, talk about, and we do do behind the scenes stuff. And there are a lot of things that I remember, but we also, you know, kind of do a, like a mystery science theater, 3000 to wrestling. Yeah. So, and it's been great. I mean, it is. And of course it got me involved in MLW again with court Bauer and, uh, it's, uh, brought me back into the business. Well, I'll uh, tell you, I, I, one of the reasons I think that it works so well is because, uh, people are just shocked. That's Tony. Like the, that's like the real, like t- the, the real Tony that we 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 get to see what this guy is really like because you were always very, you know, straight. You didn't have, uh, the people didn't know how funny you were. Right. And, and it was just kind of when you just took off the, the, the wheels there and just let it roll. Uh, <laughs> I always did have Sean and I don't know if you knew this or not. Uh, we maybe didn't work together long enough. I always did have a real silly ass, sick sense of humor. Uh, but, and but I, but I know, I know that I'm just saying that the, when you really, when you're on the other side of this, like a podcast, you can say whatever you want. Right. Yeah. Like, right. Some right. stuff you guys go into. That's just it's crazy. Amazing. Yeah. That's just <laughs> crazy. Uh, but you know, we have fun and, yeah. uh, like I'll, I'll give you an example. We have, we have made such a, uh, <laughs> we have made such fun of my wife, Lois. Yeah. Uh, and you know, that, that at, to the point to where a lot of fans think Lois is a drunk. Now Lois is not a drunk. Okay. Yeah. She's not, but we, we talk about that on our podcast. So I did, uh, on one of uh, the, my daughter's, uh, wedding, uh, reception on Saturday, last Saturday, I did it. We did Facebook live of the father, the bride speech. And I thought I should do that because all the fans bought all these shirts, subscribe to the podcast, help make the money to pay for the wedding. It was a way for me to say, thank you. Mm -hmm. So Lois goes back and she watches that. Yeah. And she tells me today, she said, I watched that, uh, that video again. And you know how people can, when you do something on video, Facebook live or something, they can, you know, they can type in things and react comments. Yeah. So while it's going on, she says, everybody on there thinks I'm a drunk and I'm, (laughs) she said, and I'm really mad about that. And I said, Lois, it is comedy. It is humor. I said, we think Scott Steiner and Rick Steiner, who are one of the baddest tag teams, greatest wrestlers ever. We call them ham cubes and school board. Yeah. I said, it's comedy. God bless America, you know, uh, lighten up. So you that's the comedy we do. Yeah, you Klondike got Dyke bill and the rest of them. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. All that stuff. Hulk Hogan and, uh, uh, and his thermos and pasta still rules and all that crazy stuff. So it's comedy. Uh, and you know, we don't, we don't mean it. I mean, it's just like any comedian doing a standup. It's a routine. Right. It is a routine. It's like Tony Schiavone doing play by play for WCW. It was a routine back then. I wasn't really like that. And now this is comedy and I'm kind of more like this than I've ever been, but I, but it's, it's still comedy. I'd yeah. like to do. Yeah. And, uh, and your kids, I think all of them got a chance to uh, talk on the, uh, yeah, they did. podcast right. this past week, but Really though, and, and seriously, they they said that it's revitalized you in a lot of ways, and I, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, how much that has changed you, but is that what's happened? I mean, is it really? And the fact that it, you know, there's something uh, I don't know, liberating or whatever, but the fact that you can just really just let it go and have a good time, yeah, with the podcast. There, 
well, two things. What is, what is, uh, what has liberated me is getting their ass out of the house. Uh, that's number one. <laughs> yeah. They don't realize that, but now that the five kids are gone, yeah. it's just Hell me yeah. and the dog. So, uh, that's that. <laughs> no, but also, and that's a joke. Uh, also what is, uh, they're still going to uh, keep coming back. No matter yeah, you said they are. Uh, <laughs> Uh, what is, uh, Sean, I, I, and I said this on the, uh, on the uh, wedding video that we did that I've always been the type of person that has two things in my life, my family, my work, and that's it. I never had an abundance of friends. They said, what is Shivani's hobbies? Well, Shivani's hobbies are working and going to sleep basically. And now that I'm so busy again, doing so many things, I'm still doing baseball. I'm still yes. with the bulldog network. Uh, and I'm, I'm doing wrestling now on top of that and the podcast, I'm doing more than I've ever done. So it, in effect, more work has revitalized me. Uh. I don't know if necessarily the wrestling has revitalized me, but being busy. And now I have to have for the first time in a long time, a big calendar so yeah. that snows where I am. Uh, it's just, uh, it's just great being back, being busy again. And you're going to be able to keep doing all of this with the, uh, the Georgia Bulldogs, the the Braves, the Gwinnett yeah. Braves. I mean, you're going to still be up because that's, especially as minor league. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know if you travel with them, but yeah, that's I travel. With them. Yeah. Well, we fly. I mean, we don't bus. We yeah. bus a couple of places, but most places we fly. It's not bad. I mean, yeah. it isn't. Uh, yeah. And uh, it's just sitting down talking, Sean. It's all it yeah. is. One thing I'm not going to do, uh, I'm not going to give up the Georgia Bulldogs. I would drop the Braves. And I would drop uh, everything I do with a podcast and wrestling really? if I had to give up the Oh yeah. Uh, I, uh, I love working for them, the, working for the university and working for IMG, just the greatest people I've ever worked for. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, I had a chance and not many people know this, but I interviewed with the Atlanta Braves this off season mm -hmm. and, uh, their, their, their network. And they wanted me to come work with them as a producer with them. And I said, you know what? I'm, I'm not giving up university of Georgia. I'm still going to do Georgia football. I'm still going to do mm -hmm. Georgia basketball. I'm not giving that up. If we can work around that, I'll, and then they didn't hire me. And I have a feeling the fact that they knew that they were not going to have me during the weekends in football and sometimes during basketball, it's just too much fun. We have such a great broadcast crew. Mm. We work for such great people. It's almost kind of like working for the, the WWF and Kevin Granith and with Sean mm. Moody, all those guys again, it's just a great crew. Oh, that's good. That's fun. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Uh, and, and now with the MLW, uh, Major yeah. League Wrestling, now they've got this new deal with uh, the BN Sports Network. Yeah. Uh, is that going to be – how big of a commitment is that going to be? I think they do pretty much monthly events. Is that going to keep going with, with court? Yeah, well, we do. Uh, we're going to uh, – our first uh, – we're going to air on April 20th, I think. Uh, BN Sports is coming up with what they call uh, Friday Night Fury, uh -huh. and it's going to be an hour of pro wrestling. I'm not so sure of the time. Uh, and it's going to be followed by MMA and followed by boxing. So it's every be, Friday, every Friday. So it's going to be a whole block of just, you know, right. a, uh, combative sports or violence or whatever. So they're going to do that. And we're going to be the first part of that. And, uh, we're, we go down to Orlando now every month and, uh, tape a month of shows basically. Wow. And they go post them after that. And, uh, the, uh, the Braves, the, the Gwinnett Braves where they're now called the Gwinnett stripers, uh -huh. they changed name, but it's still the Braves triple A team, yeah. the Braves triple A team. I gave them a list of here's the days I have to be in Orlando each month and they're fine with it. Uh, and, uh, I get somebody to replace me during the games. It's only one day. 
I fly down on like a Thursday morning, do the show Thursday night, fly back Friday morning, first thing. So that, it doesn't take that much of my time. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we'll give it a shot. Why not? I just see with all this going on though. I mean, I'm just thinking, good Lord. <laughs> I don't know. Tell it, Sean, it's easier now, really. Yeah. Sincerely, uh-huh. that the kids are out of the house, it's much yeah. easier. But there's a lot. I know you do. You, you do a lot of prep. If people know anybody uh, about what about play by play, there's a lot of prep work involved in that. And, well, and being yeah, prepared well, for these games and let let me dispel this uh, this uh, rumor right now. Uh, I no, okay, <laughs> uh, not a rumor, but uh, let me be factual about what's going on. A lot of people think I do the play by play for the Georgia Bulldogs. I do not. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I work on the broadcast team. And I am actually, my job is probably more involved than the play-by-play guy. I'm uh-huh. the producer of the Georgia Bulldogs radio network, uh-huh. which means I go, I set up the equipment. I make sure we're on the air. I ride the levels. I have all the cards in place. I make sure that the announcers say all the readers hit their times, go to the commercial breaks when they're supposed to go to the breaks and make sure that I log all the commercials that are down. So I, uh, so I uh, have to get I have to set up the day before on football, uh-huh. and uh, and when I'm also in football, I do some announcing, I do some player interviews for football as well. Uh-huh. But it was it was a job that became available a number of years ago in the basketball land, and you know me, I want another job, so I said I'd like to do that, and it, and it also became a football job uh, came open six years ago, and uh, IMG liking what I did said, we want you to do it because we know that you're trustworthy, you're dependable, uh, and you're versatile. You're the type of guy that can set up the broadcast. And if our announcers don't show up, you can do the broadcast. Uh, oh, uh, so, uh, that's what I do. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not the executive producer, but I am the producer of Georgia football and basketball. And I love it because I love the guys yeah. I work with. And, and here's, what's great. You know, the guys can call, they can go to a break. And as we're in a break, I can pop my headset up and say, Hey, you know what? You guys really suck. Yeah. You're slapdicks. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me laugh. Okay. So, uh, so I, I really, so, so it got out there that I was with the Georgia Bulldogs and I'm the play by play guy. Yeah. I'm not, uh-huh. but I'm with the, I'm with the broadcast and, uh, uh, it's a very, very, uh, it's a very lucrative job. It really is. That's awesome. And, and to think of all the jobs, like you said, you give up everything to keep doing that. That's yeah. That's, yeah. Because I, I, I really think that I could, I could work for the Georgia Bulldogs until the day I die. Uh-huh. And I, I, work, I work for the school, and I work for IMG, and I don't work for a radio station. Anybody who's ever worked for radio stations know that that's not necessarily a good place to work. Yeah. Uh, but I do work for a radio station part-time here now, uh, 92.9 came out of Atlanta. And we, 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 do a, we uh, had been doing a wrestling show on Wednesday nights, and I also do some part-time work for them. And, uh, I do a lot of digital stuff for them. So that's another job that I have as well. <laughs> uh, uh, I lost my job at WSB, uh, at the end of, uh, 2015. So, you know, we're trying to uh, put some, uh, get some money and put some money together. I was hired by the other radio station. I still needed more money. So I started working for Starbucks and I worked for Starbucks for a year and a half. Did you really? I, I, I saw that you had a video yeah. that you put up and right. I was th- like, Really? It was yeah. it just for yeah. a lark? I mean, what? Well, no, but it was a little bit of money. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, they, uh, and I got into it yeah. and I loved working with the 23 year old and 25 year old girls so much. <laughs> let me, you laugh. 
Okay. Because I'm not the creepy old bastard. You think I am. I enjoy working with them so much that I just, I couldn't give it up because it was so much fun hearing them gossip about everything in the world. And they were just a lot of fun to work with. And I had such a great time working, but then my commitment with the radio station got so to the point to where the Starbucks would give me like, well, we need you three days this week. And I say, okay, I'll take them. And then the radio, <laughs> you got to work the drive in. <laughs> right. I did work the drive in. I was, damn yeah, I know good. you had the headset. You had the whole headset thing. Going. Right. All right. Uh, and, uh, and I just told the, the ladies at Starbucks, I can't do it. I really can't. Okay. But let me say this for any youngster out there, a millennial that wants a great job, Starbucks is great. They, I've often heard it's a great place to work and it really, really is really is. So I love Starbucks. Yeah, man, I, I really, you get dizzy listening to all of the things that uh, you've been doing. Uh, yeah. when you look back now, Tony, it's been one hell of a ride. Uh, yeah. Would you have changed anything? <laughs> yeah. I, would, I'd, I'd, I wouldn't have left Connecticut. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I really wouldn't have. I, uh, I talk about that a lot. Uh, professionally, I wouldn't have, yeah. uh, but I mean, think about it this way. If I would have not left Connecticut, you know, I wouldn't have the grandchildren I have with Chris now. Cause they would, you know, wouldn't have met his wife and, and it's odd that Matt would go up and start working in New York city and meet his wife in the city. And they live up in, okay, hold on a second. All right, sweetheart. I love you. Uh, uh, so I would, uh, I wouldn't not met, you know, and we just would not have, I wouldn't have been involved in the Georgia Bulldogs and, and wouldn't have been able to work with the Braves. So yeah, there's a lot of great things, but still, uh, I wish I would have given it a go uh-huh. with WWF. Yeah. Well, and, and I'm, you know, I think of the same things, but there's so many things that have happened in my life that have been blessing since that, you you know, I, who knows what have happened staying back East and I, I get to live in a beautiful place. I love living yeah. in Arizona. Well, I live in Georgia and I love Georgia. Yeah. I would not live anywhere else. We have lived in the same house, uh, where I'm, where I'm talking to you from for, uh, well, 28 years now. Uh, and I bought this house, not as an investment. I bought this house to raise my kids in and to live in. Uh, because that's, a, that's how I am. And, uh, I wouldn't live in now. My wife would move in a minute, yeah. but I, I love Georgia and, uh, I just love living here. I really do. So you're going to continue on with the podcast. Is it going to be the same? Can people expect uh, yeah. the same, uh, hilarity and antics? Yeah. Or are you going to uh, change anything as far as what you guys, uh, when you do it, how often you do it or anything like that? No, it's going to be every week right now. It's every Monday. Conrad right. talked about maybe making it on Wednesdays. Yeah. Uh, and I say, why would we want to change it when people are used to it? But then he reminded me that, you know, they subscribe to it. So it doesn't matter when it is. Mm-hmm. They, they'll get it downloaded on Friday or downloaded on Wednesday. The idea is, is really not to change it. I think the idea now is to, to maybe expand it a little bit and do, I did one live show in Dallas, uh, a stand up with me and Conrad and Bruce was involved with it. The idea is to expand a little bit and go out and do more live shows and yeah. possibly end up doing something on YouTube with it as well. Uh, so uh, I, I really think that we're just in the, I really, really think we're in the formative uh, stages of really doing something really big here. Uh, I hope it's that way. Uh, yeah. hope I haven't ran too many people off. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I really, I, I really, I'm having a great time. Well, and and you've mentioned that a lot of uh, you know the, the podcast, and I've taken mine to a premium because level because I you know you you talk about you know t-shirts and have been basically the most lucrative thing that you guys have had. Right. And I think that the industry is definitely you know podcast. It's changing 
uh, by the day. And I think that that it really is the future. It gives us the ability to control, you know, our product where you're not having to interrupt what you're right. doing, do spots and, uh, right. and, you know, it's all up to how many people that are willing to subscribe to it. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, it's, uh, I never thought it would be as, as good for me as it's been, but, yeah. uh, it's, it's been a great Avenue. And of course, uh, you know, I've, uh, I've gotten to know Conrad Thompson, uh, and he's just a giving caring person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he's, uh, you know, he's married into the Ric Flair family, uh, which is like, what in the world are you going to do? And I told him, <laughs> I said, uh, make sure that your father-in-law, uh, is going to be sober during the uh, reception. with Ric Flair's Flair's health problems he's got to be sober now so uh but he's marrying Ric Flair's oldest daughter they're gonna get married in October and uh he's just he is he's meant so much to my family to Lois to my kids he's just a a great person to know and and it's amazing how that's developed what you you like what a a little over a year I mean yeah right right that uh, you become that close and I'll tell you what uh he downplays it a lot but uh as a, as a co-host for podcasts, he's, he's tremendous and yes, yes. Yes, he incredibly is. funny too. Right. I, I don't yeah. know if that's Southern humor or whatever, but he, he is a riot. I love yeah. And you guys play off each other really well as he does with Bruce's Bruce too, but you guys are a comedy team. It's just when you guys. Yeah. I, I love working with him. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Tony, I, I really, really appreciate you taking the time. I, uh, I, uh, I have to tell you, I've, uh, often thought about, uh, what it would have been like had we, uh, been, had the chance to work together a little longer, but, uh, I'm glad that I know you. I'm glad that you're my friend and, and I really appreciate you coming on. I hope that, uh, you, you, you actually have some time to enjoy this ride again because you got, it's, it's tremendous and I couldn't, uh, be happier for you. Thank you, Sean. I, uh, I am enjoying it right now and it, it's, you know, uh, it, it's, it's been great reconnecting with you. It really has. And uh, I'm glad we'll be able to stay in touch. And, you know, I'll, I'll be more than glad to come on and uh, talk to you anytime you want. Uh, you were one of the good guys in, in, in this. You really were in, in this industry. And there were a lot of good guys, but there are a lot of bad guys, too. But you were one of the good ones. And uh, working with you, I, like I said, in that one year with Titan was uh, my fondest memory of the business. Yeah. Until now, of course. <laughs> What they call now, exactly. Slap dick, right. So, <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Thanks for coming on.